Hi, I'm El Russ, and this is the Primal Alternative Podcast. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to the Primal Alternative Podcast, featuring actionable tips from real people with real stories about real food. This show is presented by Primal Health Coach Helen Marshall, who empowers other paleo-loving, thermomix-owning mums to start a sustainable, faff-free business of their own with the Primalista License. The Primalista License brings primal alternatives to the foods we love to our communities, making primal living more doable with less falling off the wagon. The Primalista License is available at www.primalalternative.com. And now, introducing your host, Helen Marshall. Welcome to the Primal Alternative Podcast. Hello, how are you going? I am so excited to be interviewing Elle Russ today. Elle is the author of a brand new book called Confident as F. See how I edited myself then, mum. And the best-selling health book, The Paleothyroid Solution, which has helped literally thousands of people around the world reclaim their health, me being one of them. It's a fantastic book. If you have got an inkling that you have any kind of thyroid dysfunction, check out the Paleo Thyroid Solution. Um, highly, highly recommend it. You can also go back and listen to another episode I did with Elle all about thyroid. So go back and check that out as well. If you are, um, yeah, if you're feeling a little bit fat, foggy and fatigued, check out that episode. Elle's also um, a TV and film writer and the show host for the popular, legendary, iconic Primal Blueprint podcast, um, which was started by New York Times bestselling author, Mark Sisson. He is my guru. Mark Sisson is the founder of the Primal Blueprint and the Primal Health Coach Institute, of which I am a health coach of. You can learn more about L at lrus.com. We've also got links to her website, her website, her Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and link to Amazon for her book, Confident as F. Remembers to turn phone on mute. There we go. Sorry about that, listeners. Can't be bothered to start the intro all over again. So you can live with it, can't you? <laughs> now, it's so exciting because there is literally one week to go of intake one of the Australian um, Primalista intake. So new Primal Alternative producers in Australia are coming in. If you're anywhere else in the world um, and you want to become a Primalista, it's not so much of a pressure to just get on board before the end of March. But we've been launching now for three years in Australia. And as I'm the primary interviewer, for the intakes um, I've really needed this year to have just two set times of the year, basically. So um, six weeks now, so I started interviewing on Valentine's Day and we had an early bird that ended at the end of Feb. And then this intake will close on March 27 and will open again in September. And that's purely because um, as founder of a rapidly growing company, um, there's lots of other things, lots of other moving parts in the business that need my attention. And I have just been launching nonstop for the last three years. And it's a little bit of a, 
Oh, it feels like I'm on a little bit of a merry-go-round. So I've just really dedicated 12 weeks of the year to bringing on new Primalistas and the rest of the time to growing the brand and nurturing the Primalistas as we go as well and nurturing our um, collaborative brands, the, you know, the fabulous Pete Evans and Quirky Cooking that we're so proud to be um, in allegiance with, to bring you just the most delicious range of primal alternatives to the foods we love. I was so stoked to finally, I've known Elle for a few years now. I was um, back on the Primal Blueprint podcast right at the very beginning, back in 2016, when I first launched the Primalista license. And I've been dying for the last four years to get some product to Elle. And it's just been physically impossible because you can't send real food ingredients, you know, um, products to Malibu from Australia because they'll just spoil. But now I'm so delighted that we've got Rashonda Young in Iowa, who is our very first American Primalista and also the brand ambassador to help grow a primal alternative in the US. And at the end of the interview, Elle gives us her verdict on the chocolate chip cookies and the pizza bases that she tried. And I have to say, her review really meant a lot to me, looking up to her as an industry leader. Um, you know, she's she's best-selling author. She's involved with Mark Sisson. She speaks at Paleo FX. She is a dead set legend and she really likes our products. In fact, she said that they were better um, than a lot of the products that she has tasted out there, which was so exciting because it just makes me, like I know there's a market for us in the US, but it just makes it so exciting when people like El Rose say that, that there is, you know. So if you're in the US and you're listening or you've got friends in the US and you think, oh my goodness, this would be perfect for them, then please tell them about us because we are a very grassroots, organically growing um, network of home bakers essentially. So what is a Primalista? Well, a Primalista is a primal alternative producer and they run their own home-based businesses supplying primal alternative food products to their communities. Primalistas bake and then they supply the primal alternative range to local businesses. So think health food stores, gyms, cafes, schools, supermarkets, anywhere. You can find um, Primalistas at farmers markets and also supplying products directly to the public. And, you know, the baking is easy. There's no artisan baking skills. It's just simply measure, mix, pour and bake and with a growing demand for a convenient source of real grain-free alternative food staples there's never been a better time to invest in this innovative business model so what do you get when you become a primalista well as a primalista you'll be granted a primalista baking license and this gives you all the tools knowledge and coaching you need to start your own business and the difference between a license and a franchise is that you get all of this, but you don't get to be controlled <laughs> by some franchisor who, you know, is going to have a hand in all of your profits and a say in all of what you do in your business. So there's none of that. There's so much autonomy. And with a Primalista license, you pay your monthly membership and that's it. So you know exactly how to budget and uh, forecast for your business. 
So as a Primal List, you get access to our Tread Secret Recipes. So we've got pizza bases, pastries, cookies, jellies, wraps, bagels. We've got packet mixes, including a really delicious um, low-carb pancake and waffle mix that we've just launched, and that is getting rave reviews. Um, you get access to uh, how-to videos. So I do, I've done videos showing you how to make the products. Um, you get barcodes, logos, marketing material, packaging and equipment information, an ingredients calculator, a pricing guideline, um, your own email address, your own apron, and of course, access to our closed Facebook group where you can seek advice, gain support and celebrate success with other sisters in your tribe. So if this kind of business is that thing that you didn't know you were looking for, right? Because, well, I don't know about you, but I've never heard of anything like this out there that's created by just a normal woman, not a corporate, just a woman with a passion for real health and real food and just wanting to make a difference in the world and to do it collaboratively with other women who want to raise each other up and Oh, just be part of something bigger with people who get it, serving people who want it, then please head to primalalternative.com. That's primalalternative.com. You can scope out all of our products. We've got an online shop um, and you can also find out all about the license on there. And if you like what you, you, what you see and it's, it really resonates with you, then book in for an interview with either our um, US brand ambassador, Rashonda, or myself, if you are in Australia or in any other part of the world. It's a big world, lots of people with dietary restrictions who are really seeking that convenience. Um, they really are. And we're here to bring it to them because we love cooking and we want to help others. So without further ado, let's dive into the episode with Elle. And the first thing we're going to find out is, what did Elle last have to eat? Elle, it's really cool to have you back on the show today. Before we dive into all things confident as F, tell us what you last ate. <laughs> You're going to love this. I went to Whole Foods and I saw these sausages and I was like, oh, that's happening. It said like pork, whiskey, and feta. And I was like, oh, yeah, whatever that is, just throw me a couple of those. <laughs> <laughs> So just sausages straight. And I, I don't drink alcohol, but it was just like, that sounds so delicious and interesting. I, I have to do it. So just a couple of sausages straight up. No, nothing else with it. Nope. That's it. Um, I might later have some vegetables, but um, nope. Sometimes I eat straight up just meat by itself. I mean, I guess there's a little bit of dairy in there with the feta, kind of fancy sausage situation. But no, yeah, sometimes I eat just straight up protein by itself. Awesome. Awesome. Now I've been and really- the fat off of that protein. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yummy and so satisfying. Absolutely. A great snack. So I've been super honored to have a sneak peek of your brand new book, Confident as F. Um, and it's just like I mentioned to you before we started recording, it's just such an easy read. Like it's literally just like El Russ chatting to me over the table, having a coffee and your eyes literally devour the information in there. And it's, it's, said in such a unique way, the message that you deliver. So what I'd love to dive in with Elle is 
What does Confident as F mean to you? And what inspired you to write this book? Well, Confident as F is a term I use for all-encompassing, inside and out. Now, that doesn't mean performance confidence. That doesn't mean you can't still be the quietest person in the room and chill. That's not what I mean by confidence. It's a developing and cultivating or refining a sense of prevailing in this life, of kicking ass. And that involves scraping off some barnacles and getting in there and looking at your life and experiences and how you think about others and how you think about yourself. Because you need confidence from the bedroom to the boardroom. You need it for everything you want in life. So it doesn't matter if you're a stay-at-home mom, you're going to need to speak up and have a conversation that might be confrontational with perhaps another child's parent or a teacher. You don't know. Anything. Life. <laughs> we do business with each other. You know, uh, Some people can't speak up and even you know, tell a waiter to take back a steak that wasn't cooked right. right? You know I mean? So it just depends on what level you're at. There are some people that are debilitatingly shy. Um, the reason I wrote this book is that this is something everyone needs more of, and it's something that highly confident people need refining in because we have pitfalls that I talk about in the book. And I think it's important to recognize those and realize that we have to develop a deeper sense of these other things that the people who come to us for confidence, we can learn from as well. And the reason I wrote this is that I noticed a theme throughout my life of people coming to me when they needed a pep talk, they needed to like, I need to go stand up to this person or my boss is patronizing. What do I say the next time they do this? Or I need a raise. How do I declare my worth in an interview? All of those things that, you know, people just keep coming to me for. It's just was a theme. And I noticed that people really wished my confidence upon them. However, you know, I could say that I really, when I look at it, wished a lot of their qualities upon me that were pitfalls of confidence people. So that's why I wrote the book. And that's what confident SF means to me. It's inside and outside. Um, I would argue that having some outside confidence uh, to some degree is uh, important. We have to interact with the world and such, but I'm not talking about performance confidence. I'm not saying you have to go out there and become a public speaker or, you know, uh, dominate in the corporate world. Right. So, so yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So what are some of the qualities of confident people? So many. I mean, I think I'd say the the overarching one that's really the most important is that truly confident as of people are the most authentic. And we like that about people. We like people that don't, don't BS us. We like people we don't have to walk around eggshells on. We like people that are consistent, know where they're coming from, and are straight shooters. We do. And we trust those people. So it's an incredible quality that's uh, admirable in hiring. For example, when I used to hire people for a living, I would much rather hire someone who was confident regardless of even ability and the skill. Because confident people are confident in their ability to learn a thing and master a thing. And you could just sense this about them. It exudes through them um, versus someone who isn't confident but might have the skill. So it's a highly desirable quality, but confident people are also nice. It's not bravado. It's not smashing cans on beer, you know, your for, you know, beer cans on your forehead and you know, like, rawr, and, you know, getting into fights and being confrontational. It's not about pontificating confidence and bragging. You know, usually the loudest guy in the room is the most insecure. This is not about pontificating or, you know, listen, you can be on stage talking to 50,000 people, you get off stage and you, your, your life is a mess because you can't speak up to like your neighbor or to, you know, your girlfriend or whatever it is. And so that's not confidence either right? So mm. it's, 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 it's really inside and out, but they're, they're, they're encouraging. They don't compete. They're not jealous. Um, you know, they encourage others to succeed. Uh, they take challenges as l- reasons to learn and grow versus defeat. 
you know, failure is something to climb over and learn from and to keep going, pushing forward. There's a perseverance almost to confident people. Again, because even if there's a modicum of it somewhere, and everyone has a little bit of it somewhere, but even if there's, if there's a decent amount, but it's not the full-fledged confident as F yet, that in and of itself, there are elements there that can breed on itself and compound whatever confidence is there. Awesome. Awesome. So how would you, how would you explain how the primal lifestyle fits into um, one's journey to becoming confident as F? I try not to say the real word. Um, do, do you think that, you know, getting back to cleaning up your diet, spending time in nature, nailing sleep, does that play any part in um, growing into one's authenticity and authentic self and developing a confidence or is it not related at all? Uh, actually, I think it's related on more than the dietary level. So uh, although that's not the argument I'm making in the book, but I do argue, I have a little section where I'm like, all right, look, hey, listen. If, if you're not feeling good in life, if your health, if you don't feel good, it's hard to be confident if you're struggling from a sickness and illness and for a lot of them affect your brain. Hey, absolutely. Those are, those are some real digs to confidence that may need to be addressed first and or concurrently as you build confidence. It's harder to access happy emotions when you don't have the right neurotransmitters firing because you're hypo. The more even-handed your blood glucose levels, your cortisol levels, the more metabolically flexible you are. That breeds a human brain that is on fire. And so that in and of itself, the thoughts you think, the energy you have, the level of stamina, all of that is going to contribute to you achieving your goals, whatever they are. And that could be like, you just want to like redecorate your house. I don't, it doesn't matter what it is. It it doesn't have to be some athletic feat, right? You know, it can be anything that you desire. So yes, I would argue that that is part of it, but here's the other part of it. Um, you know, and as I say in my book, so I am not a fan. I love spiritual teachers. I love all the people promoting exactly what I am, which is, hey, you know, your, your thoughts create your reality to some degree. You have to dive in there, self-examine. You know, it's through your lens and perspective. Yes, we all get that. But I am not about abolishing the ego entirely. We're still in this meat suit, Helen, right? We're still in this meat suit. It has primal DNA that really hasn't changed in thousands and thousands of years. So given that, I don't think it's about, well, being all evolved is just always never wavering from a calm mood and never getting affected and reacting to life. You know, I don't live on a hippie commune, yo. I know I live in Southern California. I'm in Malibu. It's pretty close. But at the end of the day... (laughs) We're living in real life, right? And out there, you're going to get hit. People are going to come at you and project a lack of confidence onto you. People are going to come at you and not believe in your dreams, even people that love you and are naturally supportive. Um, you're going to run into perhaps competitors that are, or, or bullies, whatever it is. Um, as adults, not, I'm not talking about just kids. So, so in those moments, what are you going to do? Are you going to allow someone else's story proje- or projection onto you or opinions dictate how your life's going to go and how you think of you and what you think you can or can't do. Not if I can F and help it. No, mm. no, you're not going to let them win. You win. No, you get to win. Why not? Really? You're it for you. I'm sorry. Get up. Let's do this. You could do it. You could do it, but it takes forcefully doing this to move forward through confidence. And it's not about barreling over people. Although I will say this, when you develop a certain level of confidence, there, there might be a moment or two in life where you have to exude dominance. 
And that dominance is going to come from your level of confidence being able to exude that. Now, it may rarely happen, but you might need to do that. Now, back in primal ancestral days, this makes sense. First of all, here's a couple things. The inside part of confidence is self-esteem. We need to be valued. It doesn't matter if it's just by one person. But in order to be happy, really, as human beings, we need to be at least valued, feel valued by somebody or something or in this world. And so tribe, having a tribe is very important. Um, but even if it's just one person, you know, you've, you've got something. And at the end of the day, we need to be valued. We, we were able to draw boundaries effectively back in the day, right? It was like, uh, no, you're not coming over here. And these are my chicks. You ain't taking these, girl, you know, whatever it was back in caveman days, right? Um, but I'm about indulging that part of us a little bit. It, it may be a false sense of ego sometimes, but there are, there are times we need to indulge those wins. So I think it's important to speak up for yourself. You got to choose your battles wisely. And it's not about just because someone flips you off in the parking lot at a grocery store or as you're driving doesn't mean you have to engage in a whole cluster F with them. But, but, but if someone comes at me directly and tries to mean girl me or bully me to my face, you better watch out. I'm going to speak up and just going to be a, it's going to be a disaster for them. Because I'm okay with indulging that. That increases my sense of confidence to stand up for myself. That's a primal nature. It's just like our primal fight or flight. It's like, right? It's like defend or, you know, prevail, you know? And we also didn't sit around when a trauma happened and simmered in victimhood, Helen. Mm. We didn't. I mean, like, oh, I guess oh, our whole place is flooded. Yep, we got to move on. Like, people have to move on. You're not sitting there crying about it. No one's crying about it. No one's like, I worked so hard on that lean-to. No, you just move forward, <laughs> <You know? laughs> right? Like, like, no one is sitting there crying about it. Now, I'm not saying in modern life we can't, we can't be sad about things that happen or, or be victims of, of circumstances that are unacceptably, you know, horrible, but that's the general principle. And so in a lot of ways, back to the question, is that a paleoprimal kind of baseline, in my opinion? That doesn't mean you have to eat paleoprimal. Uh, exa- you, know, you, you can do you know, fish and eggs or even eggs and whey protein and kind of get away with it. It'd be hard to do vegetarian, vegan, primal, but there's a lot of things you could do to cut out some of the offenders. But at the end of the day, whatever's optimizing your brain and energy in a way that you feel healthy and you're awesome as a human, optimized that way, is going to deepen your confidence about yourself. Uh, and again, your emotions and your, your tightening in with your awareness and your instincts. So I am about really being in tune with those kind of gut instincts and primal uh, feelings. Now that, again, now here's where primal gets out of hand. And we see this with really young boys, you know, like they'll get into a scuffle at school and someone's the next thing you know, fists are flying and candy bars are in people's faces and <laughs> shizzes get thrown everywhere. And like, because a lot of times young boys will go right to the uh, physical right? Um, attacks. And again, that's just sort of like, all right, that's, that's primal nature where the females really young age, um, they're on a bunch of the same age will, will hit each other with words mm. badly, <laughs> badly. And so it's just different ways that we do things. But, um, so it's a, so when you're extra confident or you're super alpha, which are all positive qualities and I have them myself, um, thinking before you speak can be a pitfall because, uh, just coming out, being right at something without thinking about it. I've had to learn that from more diplomatic, less confident, or I would say less speak upable people, but still had that diplomacy. Um, the ability to be vulnerable, you know, uh, confident people don't really want to be seen as weak or alpha people. And so admitting any kind of vulnerabilities or showing emotion can be just a nightmare for people like us, but it, it really is kind of where it's at because that's the other part of primal nature 
um, is, yes, I understand not appearing weak for the sake of what you might have to fight to protect in the wild. But at the end of the day, that's the modern adaptation where we can go, well, hold on a minute. Um, we are about this connection on a deeper level with words and emotions between us in this day and age. And it is really, really important to, to have that value with other people. So we must learn to be vulnerable. And it's the ultimate in not caring about what other people think of you. So it's kind of the ultimate confident as F that you don't care what people think, that you're a human being can have emotions. And that's not to say you need to wear the stuff on your sleeve and go tell everybody about your you know, mm. life story and your tragedies. But, but it does mean that um, it's a pitfall for confident people that they need to refine. And then that over-dominance. Um, again, like using, misusing confidence would be something that would be a pitfall for someone who you know, might need to refine that um, because it can, it can get out of hand as well. So this is really making sense. Um, and I really like how you've talked. To, I really like the way that you describe this as confidence as opposed to, um, you know, like a spiritual uh, thing where you just are expected, you sort of feel like the only, the, the only achievable thing is to be sitting in the lotus position chanting on and you have to have that complete calmness all the time, which as most of us know, that is not achievable. So I just really love how um, what you're talking about, Elle, really resonates with all the different aspects of the human, of human nature, of the human experience. And, you know, not to say that people won't come at you, but it's okay to stand up for yourself and not to say you won't experience tragedy, but it's about standing up and moving through things um, and moving through those and, and, and moving on to the next thing. So it's really making a lot of sense. And I really think that your message will land with a lot of people for whom the more sort of spiritual stuff seems a bit out there and a little bit woo-woo. This is really just to the, the kind of the, the crux of it. But what I'd love to know about in the book, you talk about the downer effect. Can you tell us about that and give us some examples of the downer effect? Yeah, this is a good one. So you, me, and everyone we know has been at one point or another a downer. And we all know these people, they can be toxic people. They can be nonstop downers. Like, oh, every time I talk to Sally, freaking downer. Okay, we know those people. Um, but then they can also just be loved ones who love you and support you. But then at the end of the day, they can have a downer moment and come at you and it can really hit your confidence and blow your self-esteem up for a second. And that's where you got to bring yourself back to the brink of sanity and talk to yourself. <laughs> but let me give you a couple examples. I mean, I give a bunch in the book. There's one from like the most innocuous to, um, you know, more serious ones, but I'll give, I'll give one right now, which is, um, so I'll talk about a time when I was a downer. I have a friend who is 45 years old and she's never had health insurance. And in our country, if you don't have health insurance, you're screwed. You know, like if you were to just have a little tiny cut on your finger and needed like stitches, that could be $10,000 to like 80000 for something that could cost five if you had insurance or, you know what I mean? I mean, it's, it's insane. I mean, a half a million dollar surgery here could cost you 40, but imagine if you didn't have any insurance at all. Like, so, so here it's like, oh gosh, you know, so if something happens, you're screwed. So, uh, I've been a proponent of insurance my entire life. This was the way I was raised. It's off in our society. Like, oh, you know, should have insurance in case something happens. Right. So this is my belief system. And so I was, my friend has never had insurance and I was on the phone with her trying to convince her. Like, I was like, this is insane. You're crazy. Something could happen. You'd be screwed. Like you did. A, I'm giving her all the, the, all of the reasoning. <laughs> I'm giving her everything I got to convince her because I think she's absolutely insane that she's gone without insurance this long. And she's like, you know, Al, I don't have the same view you do about your health. 
or about insurance and not even worried about it. Like I just don't have the same belief system. And you know what, Helen, I can't argue with that. <laughs> I couldn't really argue that. She kept coming in with me with that. I tried hardly to go, I know, but, but I was like, well, but that's the truth, right? So we got off the phone. I was so annoyed and kind of angry. And I was just like, I was like, what an idiot. You know, I was thinking, myself, what an idiot. And my first thought was, she's so stupid. You know what? Watch, something's going to happen and she'll see. Mm. Okay. Stop right there. We have to unpack that because everyone's had a thought like that. Do you know how screwed my friend would have to be in order for me to be right about her having insurance? It would mean that not only she'd have to have some medical thing happen to her, but it'd have to be something that was so horrifically financially expensive that she would be so screwed. So my point would be made mm-hmm. and I could be right mm-hmm. about her having insurance. That's really what that is. Let's look at that. Yeah, right. Something will happen. She'll see I'm right. Do I really want that for my friend? Do I really want that for a moment of being right? Do I really want that? No, that's horrible. Cancel that thought universe. Oh my God, who the hell do I think I am? What a jerk. Gross. Ew. We've all had those thoughts though. You've had them. I've had them. We've all had them. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we got to check that. How do I know I needed to check that? Didn't feel good. I got off the phone call, not feeling good, wanting to be right, feeling like she was an idiot, frustrated. That's your indication, <laughs> right? That's your indication. Like, stuff not feeling right. Look, you should be happy most of the time, joking around, laughing in your head, just thinking about like love and life. And if that's really not the case and you're up in arms about something or you've, you're feeling that way the way I did, then you need to go, hold on a minute. Why am I feeling this way? And I, really, I actually called her because you know, she's a very evolved person. She's a good friend. I call her and go, oh my God, I just had this realization. I just had like the worst thought about it. Like, I'm just such an such an a-hole. Um, and we could laugh about it for a minute. Okay. So that's one example. So you need to check how you're thinking about somebody. It usually follows when you're like, yeah, you know, like you'll see. That's usually that. Okay. Let's see what's really behind that. You'll see, you know, because sometimes it's usually like to the detriment of another person. And um, we don't want to go down the road of, of vibing, you know, misfortune. It's just a, that's just a crappy thought. It's just bad vibration. It's low vibration. It's low vibration and it cuts into your own self-confidence whether you think it or not. It's just low vibration. That's not a high confidence vibe. So that's one. Um, you know, and another is, uh, for example, <laughs> so I had a um, client who was in the midst of a very busy season and she loved her assistant, but he quit because his next promotion or the job he was going to was going to be equal to hers, meaning like a promotion for him. This one's in the book. I read this and, one. Yeah, this one's in the book. Mm. And so, so, so basically she was very frustrated and she was like, you know what? Oh, I'm so annoyed. You know, like he's managing, like he can manage it, you know, like 30 people or like a few people or whatever, but he, he, he can't manage a lot of people. Like he's going to be way out of his league. He's no idea what he's doing. It's ridiculous. Watch. You know what? Seriously, he's going to like totally be out of his league and he'll be like coming back, begging for his job. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> I was like, hold on. So you actually love this employee and you don't want them to leave, yet you want them to fail so bad they have to come crawling on their freaking knees back to you begging for their job back? You're a jerk. Mm. Really? Really? Is that really, is that really what you want? And they're like, oh my God. And I go, that's what you're saying. That's what you're saying. That's the vibe you're putting out. You want him to fail. You want this guy to fail so badly. What if he goes in there and he kicks butt? 
Wouldn't you want that for him? What if he goes in there and he does better than anyone that's ever walked in the door of that company and they are just thrilled? Wouldn't you want that for this employee that you actually want to keep? <laughs> you actually want to keep the guy. You don't want him to, it's just inconvenient for you. Your ego is retaliating with any kind of like defense mechanisms possible to attack this guy in his future. And she realized like, oh my God, like, no, 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 that's not, that's not what I really want. I like this guy. I want him to succeed. Mm. It's like, okay. So we talked that down, talked off that cliff of bad vibes. You might say, why does it matter? Why does it matter? It's just a thought. Why does it matter? Because we all know when we're in the presence of someone that doesn't believe in us or that has that vibe of like, huh, good luck with that. You'll see. We all have felt that. That's not cool. Don't be putting out that juju. Don't be doing that. So, you know, I'm down with OPC, other people's confidence. Don't be, don't be chumping on people's confidence if you don't want yours cut in on. And in that vibe, why does it matter? Because the next day and for the next two weeks, because yeah, we'll give two weeks notice in the States when they usually quit a job. Then the vibe is of her walking in that office, not shaking her head, rolling her eyes internally going, yeah, whatever, good luck. That vibe is going to be felt. Is that really a good parting measure for that employee that you liked so much? No. So that's why it's important to acknowledge when we have these feelings and these thoughts and turn them around, turn them around. So you can be a downer or other people can be a downer. Now, the times I, I've got, for example, it was the easy one. I, one time someone came to me, it was a stranger and they just asked me what I did. And I don't list all the things, but I was like, I'm a writer. And they said, are you a real writer who makes money at it? Or do you like work at the Starbucks and like do something else, you know? Mm. And I was like, oh my God. I said, that is so rude, dude. I go, that is so rude. I go, would you go to a real estate agent and say, do you just have your like license, but do you actually make money in selling houses and like live at home or what's your... I go, would you say that? He goes like, well, that's, no, I mean, that's different. And I go, it's not different. It's rude. I go, but actually in my world, see, when I come across negative naysayers like you, it just kind of fuels me to success. You just kind of like launched me. So I actually love running into people like you because that's, that's exactly how I feel. And that is my true belief. And that's exactly what I said to this guy. Now, a lot of people would have just defended themselves. They would have been like, well, I have a a best-selling book and I, Mm. no. Uh uh-uh, you're going to come at me with like that? You think I'm going to be on the defense? No, I'm going to come right back at you and be like, are you kidding me? You just asked me that fucking question? Excuse my language, everyone. (laughs) Um, So you know what I'm saying? And so that's a moment where it's not a battle, but I chose to, you know, maybe he'll think about it further. I don't care what that guy does for the rest of his life or he's rude, but you know what? Made him think for a second. And also too, it really was like, I'm not here to give you my resume to prove to you that I'm a real anything in your eyes of what you think is real. Yeah. That's a little bit of a bullying, patronizing, what a, what a, what a patronizing thing to say. He saw it. You could tell in his face when I brought it up, he felt like a jerk. That's okay. Good. See you later. But that's just an interaction with a stranger I had. But, (laughs) and again, it's not like I'm choosing battles left and right. Look, I'd rather have my ego punched in my face. If you're in danger, don't do it. If it's not appropriate, don't do it. If you're going to lose a job over and you need to put food on the table the next day, maybe don't do it yet. I mean, yeah, there, there's moments. So, but, but in, when you're kind of like mini bullied or patronized or things like that, I, those are moments that fuel me when I speak up in a way that is confidently just calling out what that is. It's yeah. just rude. Yeah. It'd be no different if someone said something else rude and you said, Hey, that's rude, dude. Like it's just, it's no different, you know? 
Yeah. And, and so, so that's a downer. What a downer. What a what downer, a downer, right? What a downer. But or here's the other, here's the other downer real quick before you say what you have to say is here's the other downer. Like, Oh, Hey Helen, I want to start a business. Oof. I don't know. 50% of new businesses fail. Be careful. Mm. Well, you know what? How about I'll be on the side of the 50% that succeed? What a downer. Stopping statistical Sally. Like what is going on? Skeptic, right? Do you know here in Australia, we even have um, a Debbie Downer. Like we have a, a, a name. So all those poor people called Deborah. Totally. Like, we have all, it too. You have it too, Debbie I Downer? No, I'm sorry, Debbies out there. Sorry, sorry Debbie. Nancy's. And Sally's. We say Debbie Downer too. That's oh, you do? Debbie it's Downer. Universal? I'm trying to think of oh. new ones. Yeah. Naysayer, Nicks. You know, I'll come up with new ones. <laughs> 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 but so I, I really like the downer effect because, well, I, I like the way you've explained it because to me it seems like, like you say, it's just a, a difference of belief systems and we're all different. We've all got different values. And quite often, you know, when you feel triggered by something, it usually is literally a clash of val- difference in values. And it can be just as simple as that. Um, and I love the way that you, um, you know, when you stick up for yourself like you did with the, the guy asking you what you did for a job, or your living or your career, it's a much more empowered place to come from than be, to be kind of like justifying yourself. Like, no, 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 I'm a best-selling mm-hmm. author. No, no, no. And then he'd be like, yeah, yeah. And just the power is still with him. Whereas when you call someone out, yep. um, mm-hmm. it really does kind of like, it's a bit of a wake-up moment for, for them, which I think is very cool. It's a very cool example to give. Which happens with, um, with bullies. Usually when you call a bully on something, yeah. you know, they... They shut down immediately because they are so not used to it. It's the, um, in fact, sometimes they'll turn around and start kissing your butt. It's happened plenty of times in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's adult bullying and I just won't stand for it. Now, I'm really challenged by that. It's like three times maybe in six years by a random stranger at my gym, I'll have to like do a number on because somebody tried to mean girl me or something in my face, which is really weird and funny when it happens because I'm like, oh God, they chose the wrong person. Why did they do this? They chose the wrong person. <laughs> like they're going to get the, they're going to get their ass handed to them. They, and they're usually like stunned and like regretful immediately. But here's the thing. I don't often get challenged in it because I speak up. So mm. you're not going to get the freedom that I experience of not being patronized, not getting spoken down to, not all these wonderful things. Like I am admired and respected and get treated with respect because I don't also give off that. I don't emanate that vibe and bullies are attracted to that. So it's another reason to be confident um, and being able to speak up to patronizing individuals in the workplace or otherwise are only going to strengthen you as you move forward. And it's, it's something that a lot of people have to walk through that I don't have to because I just do it. Uh, it's not a challenge for me. So I've done it enough times where it's like, yeah, the universe is like, well, we've got different challenges for you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you've already got that one down, right? And that's why I'm writing about it, <laughs> you know, so uh, where other people have other things down that I don't, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So talk to us about what you call parental garbage and what we need to do about it. So... We all have something, doesn't matter how great your childhood was, that is uh, perhaps affecting your life now as an adult. And that sounds like an obvious statement, but I want to give a real specific example of how this can manifest. So uh, there's this guy, I talk about this guy, Brandon, in the book where he grew up in a very lovely household. Um, no one was hungry. No one was beaten. You know, everyone had a nice middle-class lifestyle and, you know, had great education and all of that. But the dad was a bit of a hothead. And so, for example, like if his dad misplaced the hammer, he'd blame Brandon for it. He'd blame Brandon for stealing it. Where is it? Brandon was like, I didn't take the hammer, like, you know, be berated for it. And then his dad would like find the hammer and never apologize. And, you know, stuff like that would happen. You know, he'd get blamed for stuff and whatever. It's just kind of that thing. 
sounds like a small thing until he becomes an adult and up into about 40, he was on different, worked on various contracts. And sure enough, something would go wrong. It wasn't even his fault. And he'd get blamed for it and patronized verbally in front of the whole staff by the manager. And this would keep happening. And I was like, well, hold on a minute. This doesn't happen to Helen, Joe, Sally, Bob. Like, And it's not that we're better employees than you. So what's up, man? Why are you always wrong? Why, why are you always being wrong? Why is stuff going wrong? And why are you getting blamed for it if it's not your fault? Like, what's that about, man? This is like a theme. Where's this coming from, right? So we dig back. That's what it is. Okay. So the first part of that is like kind of convincing Brandon that he doesn't have to be wrong, that that's the story, that's this label, right? Maybe you were the brat or labeled the lazy one or whatever. Uh, maybe a teacher told you you never amount to anything. It doesn't matter what it is. So the next move was the next time Brandon was going to work with this patronizing boss and of course something was going to go wrong. He was going to get yelled at because that's what, how it goes. Uh, his job was stepping through that uncomfortability or becoming comfortable with an uncomfortability like you mentioned earlier being, you know, this, this uncomfortableness and speaking up and to say something to effect of like, Hey, look, if you're not going to speak to me in a professional proper tone, I'm going to walk out on this job right now. Mm. Now he had to prepare for that financially and emotionally and everything. So, okay, don't do that if, you know, so he prepared for it and he did it. Well, what do you think happened? Exactly what I thought would happen. The manager just totally was stunned because no one had ever done that. Right. No one had ever spoken up like that in front of everybody. And he apologized. It didn't happen again. And then Brandon un- started to work with different managers on different contracts and things like that. And nothing would go wrong, Helen. And everybody would email him afterwards and be like, oh my God, love the project. So smooth working for you. Amazing. We love you. Yeah. <laughs> like, all this stuff. And you should have just seen the first time he spoke up to that patronizing boss was like, I wish I could bottle his enthusiasm and his self-respect and his self-love and his self-esteem that he had for finally going, hey, you're not going to talk to me like that or I'm walking out of here unless you change your tone. That right there was a turning point in his life. And guess what? What did he get? The gift of overcoming that and attracting new, again, it's an expectation he had built upon an imprinted story, a familiar story of authority and being wrong authority and being blamed, authority being patronized, whatever it is. It doesn't matter you know, where it was from. That's the story. He just adopted that and expected it. So that's what he got. And so now here's the thing. It is my belief, and I've just seen it to be true, that whether you believe in God, universe, doesn't even matter. You will overcome a thing that's been a crappy pattern like that, and you'll, you'll do it. And you'll be like, aha, and it'll be awesome. It's amazing. And you'll get total gifts for it. But you might get a tester. You might get thrown a test situation to go. It's almost like the universe is going, hey, Are you yo, sure? you, did you really? Yeah. You, you, we're not totally convinced. You got to do it again. So be prepared for that. And by the way, that happened to Brandon. And he did. And he stepped up and he said, hey. And he spoke up and called me and was like, oh, my God, you would have loved it. You would not believe. i so proud of himself. Again, I wish I could bottle that, that that right there, that moment is now, was his heart pounding when he did it? Yeah. Was it uncomfortable in that moment? Yeah. It's never really, look, it's not comfortable. I'm, I'm okay with it, but it's not comfortable when I've had to like bully back a bully at my gym. That's never like, like my heart's up. Cortisol is pumping, right? Like it's this, Mm. it's fight or flight mode. It's not comfortable. Um, but the thing is, is that the after effect of that win 
that you get for what you stepped up to for yourself um, is, is, oh, it's insurmountable. It's, it's, it's liquid gold. It's amazing. It really is something that will fuel you and again, get you to the next level where then that's not your challenge anymore. Definitely don't want that. You know what I mean? Like that's a challenge that just needs to be overcome because we have to speak up in life to get what we want. It doesn't matter what it is. Yes, absolutely. Gosh, it's so inspiring. Now, in your book, Elle, you made up a new word, um, which is now one of my favorite words. And I've been, you know, dropping it into various um, conversations as I've been uh, going since I've read your book. But what is a non-versation and why should we stop having them? Yeah. So there's so, okay, here's, here's one non-versation. You know, I had a friend who kept calling me every year, like three or four years in a row, something like that. It's like, big plan to quit drinking and finally get healthy and lose weight and eat right and all this stuff. Finally, it's like third or fourth year or whatever it was. I said, I said, Hey, listen, man, uh, you don't get to call me to talk to me about this anymore unless you start to do something meaningful because it's just a conversation, man. It's going nowhere. It's a waste of my time and yours. Stop. You don't want it bad enough. That's tough love. That sounds harsh. I don't care. It's my friend. I can do it in a while. <laughs> my friendship. No, um, no, this was more of an acquaintance, but it was funny because uh, I, I was just like, hey, let's be real here. Like, that's true. That's real. That's, that's real talk. Stop talking about it. I'd say that to anyone. Like, I want to write my screenplay. I the fourth year. I'd be like, you know what? You don't get to talk to me about it anymore until I see page 15. Like, you're not, just stop. Check yourself. We're not, it's a conversation. But here's another form of conversation. So, Obviously, like online, people arguing with each other online. I don't care if it's vegan versus carnivore, or I don't care if it's, you know, Democrat versus Republican, or it doesn't matter what religious fight, it doesn't matter what it is. The reason these are conversations and they're a waste of your time, um, well, we know why they're a waste of your time. But for example, in that scenario, nobody is really trying to have a philosophical debate about anything. That's not the goal. You're just trying to prove someone wrong or make them look stupid. You're not trying to really change their mind. They can't change yours and you know it. So let's not pretend that we're in a honest, like heartfelt debate about a thing. You know what I'm saying? Now, -hmm. if that's your job and you're in politics and this is what you have to do, that's one thing, right? You have to go online, whatever. If that's your job and that's what you do, great. Um, Fine, do your thing. But I'm talking about most people getting into fights with friends and people on Facebook, you know, or whatever it is and getting into these non-versations. And, you know, listen, I have a friend who's exact opposite views of me and a lot of things in life that if we get on those topics, forget about it. I've started non-versations and they're all, you always regret it. It always lowers the vibration of everybody. It raises your blood pressure, your cortisol. It's insanity. Nobody is real. I'm not really trying to have a real conversation and learn his viewpoint. I just think that he's stupid about that. He's insane and that I'm right and he should adopt my position. That's just the truth. We all know it. You know it. It's just the truth. So let's not kid ourselves. It's a conversation. Stop starting them. They're a waste of time. Some of them are not, unless you're really engaging in an interesting debate with a friend or something like an crowd. Of course, lovely. I love those conversations. Those are great. Yeah, let's talk about something. Let's get in there. But you know the kind I'm talking about. That that's not coming from a true place. So confident people don't waste their time with that number, those conversations. So what about idle chit chat? So you know, if you go to like a social event and you're just like skirting around, just talking about nothing important, and it just feels yucky, and 
you sort of want to avoid those social situations because it's not authentic conversation. Is that a non-versation as well? You know, that's a good one. Um, it depends on how you feel about it. I mean, yeah. Uh, well, non-versations, I would say, are more really just like things that are going to that's pleasantries and it can be an awkward, just uncomfortable scenario when you're like stuck talking to people that you're not enjoying the conversation, right? But you're in a environment where, right, you've got to have an editing button. You can't just be like, dude, you're, you're lame. I'm out here. <laughs> right? you know, just like, um, uh, being confident as F does not mean being a jerk or, you know. Uh, uh, so yeah, we've all been in those situations. Uh, you know, afterwards it is, you know, I just come kind of like, mm, it's kind of like, uh, they're just not fun. They are. They're a little bit conversations, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't have them. I mean, it doesn't mean, you know mm. what I mean? I think I would say those are great challenges to try to do your best. Usually in those scenarios, if the conversation is going anywhere, just ask the people about themselves and their lives in some way. Usually people are, um, like to be interviewed. Yeah. People love talking <laughs> um, about and, you know, just ask people about themselves. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and, and that's not, I don't even mean that in a negative way. No. I just mean that in a like, I mean that in like truly get to know the person way because then it could be a more interesting conversation and lead to more interesting conversational tangents based on something they tell you. And so if you want to like excite up a boring conversation and also too, here's the thing. I mean, this goes back to something I say in my book. I had someone who asked me once who was very insecure said, uh, you know, I feel insecure every time I go in a room or party, people are judging me, whatever. Da, da, da. And she's like, I bet you don't feel that way. How do you walk into a room? And I'm like, I walk into every room like I own the mother effer. Now, <laughs> what I mean, sounds cocky, but here's, here's what I mean by that though. I really do. I, you're not there to, if you're there to have a great conversation and hopefully that people will look upon you fondly, then you're not really confident as F. Walking in a room like you own it is not caring about what happens, just observing, interested to meet people or not, not giving a crap about whether people know your resume or who you are or what you've done or whether they even like you. It's just like you're okay being yourself, um, enjoying whatever kind of comes and being interested in like whatever that is. So if you're in a boring, dead-ended whatevers, just ask people about themselves, ask some specific questions. And it actually might lead to a story or a nugget that could inspire now the conversation moving in a fun direction. I have lightened up a lot of conversations in my life. I have come into some bomb drop situations and been able to liven it up or make it fun for them even if it's not necessarily super fun for me, but it's also always interesting. I always learn something, whether I think it's fun or not. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, you might learn about like, uh, sometimes, you know, I've had those moments not too long ago, I was at a situation where, um, but I learned about an interesting, unique profession I had not learned about through this person. That was a very niche kind of thing. And while I wasn't like, wow, I love talking to that person. What a great, I didn't have that kind of, I mean, no, nothing negative either, but I certainly didn't leave the party thinking like, oh my God, I can't wait to call her and hang out. No, I don't care if I ever see this person again. But because of the boring conversation and me asking then questions about her life and and again, I'm a coach too. So, you know, you never know if you can help somebody <laughs> with a perspective. Yeah. So I'm always yeah. kind of in that mode. I'm always in that mode. And so I learned about this really interesting question that actually helps her gain some confidence in an arena within her profession during that conversation. I gave her a lot of food for thought. So, hey, what a beneficial thing. And you know what? Yeah. It was kind of boring. That's okay. But mm -hmm. I helped someone kind of and learned about something I didn't know about. All right. My brain just got rewired to a new, oh, I didn't know people did that. That's a thing. Yeah, it makes sense, right? It was one of those. And so, um, right? So that's how you can resolve and make a situation like that better.
Yeah, and I can see the difference now between pleasantries or idle chit-chat and how you can really use those um, as a challenge to get to know more about people and learn new things comp- compared to a non-versation, which is more about just wanting to prove that you're right. And there's not really, it's not really very vibrational. <laughs> you really raise your vibration doing that kind of thing. So yeah, great. You've really clarified that for me, Al. That's awesome. Thank you. Now, Earlier on, you were saying that confident people don't compete and they're not jealous. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Because that's a really interesting concept because I know a lot of people have this like comparisonitis that they're not as good as everybody else. So tell us more. Mm. All right. Well, my thing is that when you compete, you lose. And so what does that mean? Because like, well, you're in competition with other people and you have to beat them. So clearly like that makes no sense, but it does. Cause here's the thing. There's a different vibration here. When I'm in a competition uh, and let's say you're in it, I'm not like, Oh man, I'm going to kick her ass. Like I am, I, I, it's nothing, nothing has to do with about you losing. My value in winning is not based on your defeat. I'm just thinking about being the best and winning. My vibration is, Oh, I'm just going to go in there and dominate. I'm going to do it. Like, I'm going to win. I'm going to be number one. By the way, I do win a lot of things. So it's a story I have. <laughs> I'm going to keep telling it. Um, but, uh, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the funniest part of that is one time I engaged in a stand-up paddle competition for 10 miles. And I was like, oh, I'm winning this thing. I'm going to dominate. I'm going to get number one. I'm going to kill it. I, for like a month before, I was vibing the shiz out of this thing. <laughs> I did win first place, Helen. But here's the funny thing about it. I went first place and then I realized after that the only reason I went first place is there were no other women in my specific category. <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> I usually, be, care, be careful what you wish for. Yeah. Be careful what you wish for because here's my like, oh, I don't compete with people and then I win a thing and actually, what, what are the odds? No one was actually really competing. And, <laughs> and then it wasn't, it, it wasn't as rewarding, you know, it's like being yeah. the valedictorian in a class of three, right? You know, it's a, <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> so, so I, you know, of course you want some other people, but again, the vibration is really different there. It's not based on my reign over you. It's just based on me being number one. Do you see the difference there? Yeah. One is such a, does that make sense? Cause if not, I want to clarify it. Cause it really is a difference in just winning and wanting to prevail and be the best, even though yes, best means beating others, but the vibe in me is not, I'm going to kick their butts, has nothing to do with like you losing or imagining your defeat, haha, and my reign over you. It actually has nothing to do in comparison with you. It just has to do with me and the glory of when I win being number one. Mm, yeah. Such a different vibration. And jealousy is really messed up. Jealousy and envy, you know, and I go into this, but let's just, overall, when you are jealous of a person, you are secretly hoping that they fail at the thing you're jealous of them for. It's really what you're wishing. And it's only backfires on you. Jealous people lose a lot. And then if they get any kind of success, it's like really quick last, you know, it's just short lived because again, there's, there's, there's more to be jealous of. So I do not hang out with jealous people. And if you feel like you're hanging out with people that are jealous of you or kind of not in your favor or kind of secretly hoping you fail, then guess what? They probably are. And stop telling them your dreams and limit yourself or get away with them or cut them off entirely. Jealous people are not allowed in my sphere if I sense that anyone. And here's the thing. And, and you know me 
for a while. I, I am a super connector, helpful person. I don't care. If you want to be a podcaster and a writer, come to me. I'll help you. I don't, I'm not like, oh my God, but what if Helen becomes like better at it than I? And what if she becomes more successful? I don't, that's not how I think. There's room enough for all of us. I don't believe in lack. And also that's the surefire way. I'll give you an example. Um, you know, I'm also an actor in Hollywood, like TV and film. And so a lot of actors are very competitive and they don't want to help each other because again, they have this sense of lack, like, oh my God, there's limited roles. Like it's already hard enough. Right. And so like, you know, it's like, oh my God. So they don't tell each other about opportunities and things like that. Mm-hmm. Well, I had the, I used to be at a comedy theater and there was another girl that was really funny and awesome. And I just loved her vibe. And she was also another pro woman woman like I am. And her name is Melissa. Um, and Melissa McQueen, you guys can look her up. She's a stand-up comedian. And she's still a friend, love her, I've done so many sketches with her. And I got a couple of big auditions, like for big TV roles for sketch comedy. And I had the thought in my head, like, oh, Melissa, she should go out for this too. And right when I had the thought, I was like, I can't not not tell her. Because in not not telling her, then that would be like me feeling like I don't want her to compete with me. You know, like, I don't want her to get it, right? Like, oh no, another person I'm throwing into the ring that's going to be, but see if you're believing in that. And so every time I did, I called her, I texted her and I said, hey, tell your agent, there's this thing. They haven't gotten you out for it. Get out for it, you know? Because that's the right thing to do. And that's also, so confident people encourage other people's success. And so you can't have a lack mindset like that. You do have to help others. It's actually, I don't do it because it's going to come back to me, but it always does. It always does. Yeah, yeah. Because when you when you celebrate success for other people, you're pretty much telling the universe that, oh, this is I like this. This is what I want. And so, you know, the universe matches that vibration and sends you more of what you want. Whereas when you contract and you're like, oh, it's not fair. It's okay for her, but that's never going to work for me. Or you know, it's like there's only there's just one pie and there's only so many slices to go around, and someone's going to miss out. It's a really contracting vibe, isn't it? We can all relate to that kind of like squeezy feeling of lack. Yeah. I love that you just don't believe in lack. Neither do I. I'm confident as I mean, as if well. you, and if you have the thought, like it's, e- <laughs> yeah. And if you have the thought, it's ego for a second, but you got to dial in and go jealousy, envy, com- competition is the last thing that it, it is, it is going to drive you to failure, not success. That's just the truth. That's yeah. just the truth. So, and yeah, you, and you, you get lifted up by lifting other people up, you know, and honestly, as women, that needs to happen more, um, more and more. I'm surprised it's not already over at this point. Um, but I just won't hang out with those types of women who are jealousy and competitive. And we see it on our like terrible reality shows that we have here where women are just fighting and backstabbing. And you know what? Like, I'm sorry, that story's over everybody enough. Like we've got to be pro women, women. If you're not hanging out with those people, you need to get with some confident as F women who are going to encourage you and want your success and, and truly want that for you. And if you ever have the thought that you kind of, here's when you really need to check yourself is if you have the thought about somebody like, (laughs) yeah, right. Good luck with that. If you have that thought, you need to check yourself. You kind of are hoping that someone's going to fail so that you're right. You don't believe in them. You know, maybe you don't believe in them. Encourage them anyway. You know, mm-hmm. um, let people fail. Um, I, I have a twist on a quote. There's like a Finnish composer. He had a quote that says, like, no one ever built a statue to a, um, a critic. critic. And mine is, no, right, and mine is, no one ever built a statue to a skeptic. No one ever built a statue to a guy in the placard says, uh, oh, this guy kind of didn't believe in anything anyone thought was possible. <laughs> <laughs> that's not... <laughs> It's that's not 
Yeah, yeah you tell me that one before and I use that one a lot because it just really does, um, just nails the whole concept of it, doesn't it? It's like stand up for what you believe in, follow what you believe in, do something worthwhile as opposed to just going, yeah, good luck mm-hmm. with that. But you're, but you're going to have people project a lack of confidence to you on a thing. Even if you're confident about it, it's going to hit you. What are you going to let that, what are you going to let that mm-hmm. do to you? And also you're going to speak up. It happened to me. Look, my best friend from high school, known him forever, we have not gotten into fights at all. Like maybe twice we had a heated debate over something, but like uh, nothing, like we, we have a great relationship. And uh, he's confident as F and he's one of those quiet, confident as F people who's like in the corner of the room at the party and people are like, oh, poor guy, not, not poor guy. He's just observing. He's confident as F. He's got more self-esteem than you do judging him. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's, he's super confident. And the nice thing about having confident as F friends is you can do things like what I did where when I was writing my first book, he like called me up in a frantic as if he was like a, a, a parent whose, who's, you know, child was, you know, had a paper due the next day and it was midnight and he was like, he was like, how are you doing? How far are you along? Like, how many words do you have? Like, are you doing? Like, are you writing? Like, what's up, dude? Like, coming at me. And I said, a downer, right? And I said, dude, I go, what are you doing, man? I go, just because you don't have confidence in writing a book, don't project that shiz onto me. <laughs> the last person I need to be a downer in my life is you right now. I've never not finished a project I haven't started. You've known me for 30 something years. Like, come on, man. What are you doing? You know? And he was like, oh, you know what? I'm sorry, dude. You're right. And then it was over, right? It's over. So one second, mic drop, done. You're out. That's another reason mm-hmm. to have confidence that people. Stuff doesn't simmer, doesn't mm-hmm. boil. But by the way, I'm glad I spoke up. See, right there in that moment, I just spoke up. I said, hey, man, what are you doing? You're my best friend, last person. Now, if I didn't, I would have been got off the phone, right? Many people listening would be simmering in that. They'd be so agitated at that downer and they'd let that fester, right? Maybe they'd passively aggressive act out on it, whatever it is. But no, I just called it right out right there. Like, hey, dude, you're bringing it down. And I expect that of my friends too, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, so it can come from anywhere, right? You get, you get kind of downered. Someone doesn't believe in you. They're going to project a lack of confidence onto you. So what are you going to do? You're going to accept it and take it? I mean, really? That's <laughs> crazy. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And even if they don't, sometimes if they don't actually say it to your face, you know, what they're thinking, you can tell, you know, you say, oh, I'm going to do this. And it's like that, that quote where they say, don't share your million dollar ideas with um, $10 people because, you know, it really does pay to, to be around inspirational, confident people as well. But sometimes like, you know, when you share a big idea and people are like, oh, yeah, good. For, yeah, no, go for it. Good for you. But you can tell on the inside, they're like, yeah, right. So that's really and that's why you don't share that stuff. That's why you, where don't you learn to kind of go, stuff. okay. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes you you learn that you learn to go. You know what? Let me wait till I'm you know farther along. Or that's fine, share it. But expect the hits mm. because they're going to come from everywhere, and from hit. strangers and from people. Yeah. And it's not about expecting people to be mean to you or downer to you. It's just like this is the truth of human interaction that. Yeah. That's yep. just how people are. How and so, yeah. and they're lovely people and you still love them. I love my friend. He's amazing. He's a wonderful person. He's not a horrible person for being a downer in that moment for five seconds. No. But he had a downer moment and I called him on it and it was over. And, and that's how it should be. It. Instead of letting it fester and simmer and leak out into other areas of your life, you know, you just nipped it in the bud and moved on, which is brilliant and brilliant um, advice. Now, you've got a section in your book confident as f which is available on amazon and we've got the link to share in the show notes 
Um, but one of the sections is called your victim application has been denied. Tell me more about that one. Yeah. So denied. Um, so I was talking to a 50 year old woman and she was lamenting about, you could tell that she was um, embarrassed or self-judging about her place in society, her level of wealth and her level or lack of success, I would say in her eyes, right? You could just tell she didn't feel good about where she was and felt like she had to justify it. And the way she was sort of justifying it was she was talking about how like blaming her mother. And she was saying, you know, my mother had just raised me to be more disciplined. You know, she really could have like pushed me more and she didn't, I'd probably be somewhere different now. And I was like, listening to this, I'm just going, I'm shaking my head inside. And I said, well, let me ask you something. Like at what point in life, how old were you, do you think, when you kind of realized that she wasn't the best? Like she could have, like just what you said, you know, that she could have done better. Maybe she should have pushed you harder. When did you, when did you realize that that was true? Like, cause you know, you're 50 now, but she's like, well, I don't know. Maybe I was like probably 30, I guess. I kind of really realized like she, and so I was like, so you've had 20 effing years. You've had 20 effing years knowing that. 20 effing years knowing that parent yourself it sounds harsh guys but no one's gonna do it for you they're not gonna do it for you if they're still alive they're probably still the same they didn't do it for you then they're not do it for you do you know they didn't do it for you then that means you got to do it for you means you know it you're aware of it stop it your victim application is denied it's so easy to shove away personal responsibility and blame someone else for our shortcomings. Boy, that would be easy, isn't it? But the thing is, it's not easier because you're living a life of crap because you're not achieving your goals and enjoying a life that you could because you are still blaming an upbringing, an incident, whatever. If you're an adult now and you know this, you need to get yourself some self-help books, coaching, therapy, I don't care what it is, but you got to stop blaming. doesn't mean you have to accept or or excuse any behavior that happened in one's life. Not at all. But how did other people overcome adversity? Because they wanted it bad enough and they didn't let those people and their stories and projections of them or their treatment of them to affect how they thought of themselves and what they thought they could do. It's up to you. You must parent yourself now if you didn't have it then. And you may have had good parenting and then parents changed. I've seen that over the years where like, hey, talk to friends and you're like, what happened to your mom, man? She used to be so cool. What the hell? She took a left turn or something like someone could change. What if you're not getting the same amount of love and affirmation from a certain family member? You have to give it to yourself. <clears throat> you let your world cr- crumble. Excuse me. So, you know, this is, this is important. It's important to recognize. Yeah. Amazing. And you've also got a section uh, in your book on how we could use um, our religious beliefs or religious faith to help with confidence. And that's a really, really good one because often the two aren't really discussed. So can you unpack a little, unpack that a little bit for me? Yeah. You know, there's so much more to what I can say about it right now, but here's the thing. If you believe in a God of any kind, it doesn't matter what you call it, and you're of any kind of faith, the thoroughfare of all of that is that that God loves you, right? And wants the best for you and believes in your redemption, in your ability to succeed and overcome challenges and all of these things we're talking about. So faith 
having a faith in such a God is contradictory to not believe in yourself. It is of the utmost contradiction. So I would say, use your faith or get a new one. I don't care, but use your faith. We all know the people that go to church pontificating religious philosophical beliefs and tenets, and yet they're going home and beating their wives or they're just showing up and they don't really care. And they're just like, oh, look at me. I'm a good Christian. I'm going to church. We all know people like that. And then we know people that take it seriously and don't have to do that either. And maybe it's more of a private uh, meditation for them. It doesn't matter how you practice whatever religion you have, but we all know that BS too. And that's not, that's not faith. So faith, you know, confidence really is the faith in yourself that you will prevail to succeed in whatever you believe that is. It's happiness for most people, but that's defined in so many ways for whatever, doesn't matter what you want in life. You want to go live on a boat in the Bahamas? I don't care, I don't care what the dream is. Um, but that's, that's, that's the goal while we're here is to achieve this level of happiness uh, synonymous with, I could say that's the ultimate success, right? That's success. So why, if you're, you got to get with your faith, you got to get your faith in order, right? Use your religion to fuel your confidence, get more into that. And the beliefs in there, a lot of those beliefs are also law of attraction beliefs, you know, believing and have faith in a thing before it shows up. That's a law of attraction tenant of, you know, believing and feeling the feeling of having the thing before you get it mm-hmm. in order to get it. That's faith. Uh, so, so deepen your faith and use it to fuel your confidence because it's contradictory to saying that you're a person of faith. I've seen so many people express such fears. Um, and uh, one time I said to someone, I said, I said, hold on a second. Are you, re- are you religious? And she's like, oh yeah, I go to church every Sunday. I was like, well, where's your faith? Mm. Like God loves you. God wants you to be successful and overcome this illness or whatever. Like, where's your faith? You're, why have you abandoned him? Well, you're, you're giving the middle finger to your own God that you're showing up every week to profess a faith in that you technically kind of don't have right now. So yeah. get with it. Mm. Reignite it. And listen, I'm not a religious person, but I studied religious. I have a degree in philosophy and I studied religion and I it's important that you are out of integrity and honor that dive into it. Then why bother? Now I would still say that I have similar faith, but it just might not be in a specific text or scripture. Right. But I still have the similar faith that I'm co-creating and that there is something out there that is a friendly universe or wants me to prevail. You might say God in your interpretation or it doesn't matter. Um, but if you are religious and you believe in a God, then get your faith in order because it can fuel your self-esteem and confidence and work with it. If anything, my gosh, it's so helpful. The people that don't have religion who might not believe in redemption or forgiveness, my gosh, you've got a willing God who's going to forgive you at every turn for every sin and step you take off the path. Uh, what a lovely thing. Jump in there, man. (laughs) Get, get more of that. (laughs) it's <laughs> more of that you know what i'm saying so that that that's my whole chapter on that is basically saying like hey get get in there this is why I, I want you even though i'm not religious i may not believe in what you believe in specifically i want you to believe more of what you believe does mm. that make sense yeah yeah absolutely use your faith yeah so what about shame i mean you, you've got a, a chapter titled shame and you talk about how that disables confidence so how does shame do that well, there's a couple aspects of shame. The sort of one that I, the one that I'm not ta- oh, 
talk about a couple of them, but one one could be shaming someone. Like for example, your <laughs> someone was interviewing me about this book. There's a guy. And while he was interviewing me, he realized something about his parenting that he was really bummed about. And he expressed it on the podcast and he said, our, he's like, oh my God, I just realized I totally killed my kid's confidence in something. He said, my, my kid really wants to be a singer, but every time he sings, it's so bad. And we've got some singers in the family that are actually like really professional and really good. And he was singing one time and I made a comment like, well, you definitely don't have grandma's voice or something like that. Mm. And I was like, oof. Okay, so that's the way we can destroy. That's being a downer, really, is what that is. That's it's a harsh downer, but that you can. That it's a little bit of shame too. You're kind of shaming someone for expressing something right in a way that's sensitive. Um, but I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is something that you feel ashamed about in your life or shame of. So, for example, it could be like you have. I don't know. Maybe you have a bunch of unsightly moles on the back of your, you know, back and you're embarrassed about it. You could have been a drug addict and exhibited terrible behavior at one point in your life and you still feel ashamed about who you were and how you might be judged because of that. You could have uh, killed someone in a drunk driving accident accidentally and still carry shame. But I don't care if it's your fault or it's not your fault. It could be your sexuality. It could be your molested as a kid. I don't care what it is that you're ashamed about, but it's going to disable your confidence. And you have to get right with it. And whether that means you have to talk with a coach or a therapist or a support group or a free online forum, I don't care. You got to get good with it. And it doesn't mean you have to write a chapter about your shame like I did. And I'll tell you about that in a minute. And it doesn't mean you have to do a Facebook Live, okay? Or even tell your friends, hey, look, some things are taken to the grave. That's okay too. You got to get good with it though, because it will disable your confidence. And so here's the thing. You can't be confident as F when you've got that lingering in the background because shame in and of itself is a sense of unworthiness and a real deep sense of what we've just talked about, which is really caring and feeling the weight of other people's opinions and judgments about you, about that thing that you're afraid that you don't want people to know about or that you know you dread people knowing about, whatever it is. And for me, so I was confident in all these areas in my life, but I had great shame in one area that I tried to shuffle under the rug. <laughs> and uh, guess what? Uh, N equals one experiment on that doesn't work. It backfires. It totally backfires. You can't have one area of your life be like this and not have it spread into others and think you can just hide something and think you... So that was my last piece to becoming confident as F. The all-encompassing part was nipping that and getting over this in my life. So the, the, it, there's a whole chapter on it. It's a much longer involved story than what I'll share here. But when I was 22, I was permanently disabled. Uh, I got a hand injury. I basically just worked my hands off in a repetitive way, like a baseball player. You know, they keep throwing that ball, the pitcher, and then he's out for a season, and then he's back in or whatever. It's like, you know, a repetitive strain injury. A lot of athletes get it. And mine was from, you know, working at the computer eight plus hours a day with my hands using repetitive motions. And so literally at the age of 22, I was about to, I was already making six figures. I was making over $100,000 a year. I had my own office. I was managing a hundred people throughout the state of California. I was a hotshot. I had Armani suits. I was like such a badass. And my next promotion was going to be to a quarter of a million dollars a year at the age of like 23. Mm. pretty rad. Okay, dude, mm -hmm. pretty rad. I was stoked. 
I was like, oh, F yeah. And by the way, I got kicked out of high school. So it was like extra vindication. Like, oh yeah, yeah you may yeah. have kicked me out, but how you like me now? <laughs> I was totally, I totally felt like high on life. I was like, oh my gosh, I am succeeding far faster than I thought I ever could at such a young age. Like I am going to be retired with a couple Porsches in the driveway by the time I'm 35. Oh my God, this is great. And I loved it. And then one day my arm stopped working, like mm-hmm. pretty much like that. Uh, I had such horrible chronic pain that developed to the point where I couldn't even lift a fork to my mouth. I couldn't hold a cup in my hand. I couldn't wipe myself without pain. My arms went numb every night. Sometimes they still do. Um, I still can't sleep on my sides, but it's been 20 years and I can swim and I can play a game of ping pong or tennis with you. But then like, you know, I don't have to go be on a computer eight plus hours a day so I can rest. And so I can do some activities, but you're not going to see me on the tennis league. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, and so, but back then for years, I really couldn't even move my arms. I couldn't speak with my hands. I couldn't run my fingers through my hair. I was dead arms. It was a mess. And now I can't work. Right. So now it's this immediate fear. Now, at first I didn't realize it was going to be permanent, but when I realized that it was going to be. I had this thought, the first thought of horrible shame, which was, oh my God, who's going to ever want me? What guy is ever going to want me? I'm 22 and I got dead arms. I can't cook clean. I can't get a kid out the door. I can barely button my shirt. How? Who's going to want me? I wouldn't want somebody with dead arms. I can't be a hypocrite. I wouldn't want that. Who's going to want me? Now, what do you think that led to, right? Um, so what it led to was, is, and I go, I go in depth in this, as you know, in, in the chapter. Um, Mm -hmm. but over time you start to, when you have something you can't see, people aren't very empathetic. Sometimes people question you. Sometimes people kind of, yeah, right. In their head, roll their eyes, but the, yeah, right. It's not about you succeeding. It's about like, Hmm, do they really have it? or Do they not? You have people kind of not believing you. That could be also for rheumatoid arthritis. It could be for anything, right? Hypothyroidism. It could be something you might not be able to see. Um, so because you can't see it, that created a problem. And then also too, there were lots of things involved in that, but I carried such great shame about this. So I was so embarrassed in romantic relationships that I wouldn't tell him. I wouldn't tell someone I dated because you can't see it. Right. And I was kind of mobile at that point. By the time I finally got better after a couple of years where I didn't have to work and I didn't have to keep re-injuring my arms every day, I finally healed to the point where I could kind of like talk with my hands and live a normal life and wash my dishes and like be a normal person. (laughs) And so, um, so yeah, so I mean, completely amazing. Like, and that's part of also staying healthy and aligned, right? That's Helen, another part of, thank God, that element came into my life too. Um, so I was so embarrassed and ashamed. I thought I'd be rejected for it, a liability, right? Who would want me? And this went on for years. And so I didn't tell anybody. And, or I'd tell someone and open up and I'd regret it. I couldn't get through telling the story without sobbing, crying. It was just like I was crippled and people were trying to be well-meaning and they'd say things like, I don't know why you're ashamed. It's not your fault. It's silly. I don't you have nothing to be ashamed of. And that just kind of makes you feel ridiculous. It's not really addressing the shame. It's kind of discounting it. I know they're well-meaning, but it's, you know, it kind of drives you further to just shut up about it. Mm-hmm. So what this did also is kept me, it kept me on the outside of friendships because I had an insurance policy through my company, like private insurance that uh, gave me a certain percentage of my salary. And so I, I thankfully didn't have to work, but it was like a very, very small salary that doesn't go far in our country at all. Like it was like, okay, I don't know how I'm going to make a living now. So that's when I was like, oh, 
will have my voice. And obviously the fact that I'm talking to you now says a lot about where that story ended. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, um, so, right. So, but it, I didn't know that then I just thought I was screwed and you know, life was going to suck. You don't just show up to like NBC and go, Hey, uh, I need to use my voice cause my arms are screwed. So can you give me a job in radio? Like that just doesn't work. <laughs> so I had to go launch this 20 year journey into using my voice, which I go into detail in this chapter. But the end result is that what happened was, is that I kept running into people that were emotionally unavailable. And I also stayed on the outside of friendships and I didn't let them develop further because I was too embarrassed for someone to ask me how I made my money and for me to have to say I had long-term disability. Mm. You know, the, using the word disabled, right? A confident, again, out, off a female, don't want to show vulnerability, don't want to admit something's wrong with me. I'm now different from the rest of the world and I don't know how I'm going to support myself and who's going to want me and I could be a liability and I could lose the insurance and then I'm screwed and it's going to have to take care of me and oh my God. The opposite of what I wanted in life was, you know, to be independent and make a shitload of money, which I did, but then this happened. Mm -hmm. So the universe cut the golden handcuffs off of me. The odd thing about this is I always wanted to be in the entertainment industry when I was a kid and an actor and all this kind of stuff, but I always thought it was such a joke and unrealistic. So it's funny how the universe kind of forced me to do the thing that I, you know, now I live the life of my dreams so I'm not happy and successful despite my disability. I'm happy and successful because, because of, it. of it. Now, yeah. here's a relationship component. Yeah, now here's a relationship component. So about seven years ago or so, I met someone who I really thought I was going to marry. I mean, very close, met the kids together all the time. The only thing about him, I mean, amazing, I'm still an amazing guy. I have nothing negative to say about him, except for the only thing about him that I started to get choked up in the throat. That's when you know something's wrong when you have that feeling, right? Like a frog in your throat. Mm. Couldn't speak up. And I realized it was because he was like kind of an emotional robot. He showed me he loved me, he was very, but there was no verbal expression, no words of appreciation, no. And it was a huge deal breaker for me. You know, I can't, I couldn't live like that. And so I brought it up and anyway, it turned into us breaking up. And long story short, I'm bawling my eyes out to my coach. And I'm like, this seems like a cruel joke. You know, this guy's everything that I want. I'm in love, but he just, I just can't live a life never hearing words, never having emotional intimacy, you know, like verbal intimacy. And, and I said, this is, this feels like a cruel joke. And he goes, no, no, no. The universe doesn't play cruel jokes. He goes, did you tell him about your disability story and the whole thing? And I said, no. And he said, well, then it looks like you're the emotional robot doesn't it? Mm. And I lost it because he was right. Yeah. It was so painful. It was like, cause I guess who the common denominator just stabbed myself in the stomach with the sword. Like what? Mm. That's me. That's me. And I knew I had to change my life about this subject or I was never going to find that connection with someone because how can you expect it and attract that when you are not offering it yourself? I was not emotionally available. I didn't express words of love and appreciation either. I was more like, well, I'll wait to see if he tells me he loves me because <laughs> then I'll feel safe. And well, I, what kind of bargaining with my shame? Like whatever, you know. And so then I started to have to be vulnerable and open. And here's what happened. Finally, I was like, okay, just going to have to have no shame about my shame. I'm going to have to start. So I started to call a few friends that were really open and wonderful with me that I really loved and considered close. And I said, look, I got to tell you something that, I've kind of kept secret from people and I can't do it any longer. And if we're going to be friends, if we're going to get closer, this just, you'd have to know this about me. Told them the story, you know, and I cried the first couple of times, couldn't get through the conversations. Then finally a fellow podcaster, Karen Martell one time asked me a direct question about something. And I, 
I, I thought to myself at the time, all right, I can keep the charade up of shame or I can just do it. So I told her the story and her response was, oh my God, I, that's what happened to me. My hands were injured no way. because I was a body worker for 15 years and that's why I'm a podcaster and a health coach. And she goes, oddly enough, I'd always wanted to be a health coach, but I didn't think it was realistic. So it's funny that the same thing happened to me where the universe just cut it off my wrist, literally. And so I, so I got off of, I got off that call with her and was crying because, okay, going in the right direction, there's a sign. The mm-hmm. first person that's kind of a stranger that I decided to kind of reveal this to and just be nonchalant about the story and just kind of come out with it has the same experience. Now, I mean, another woman with an unseen hand disability, and then it gets crazy, Helen. Then a couple of weeks later, uh, someone had told me in an interview, this woman, Jeslyn Moyer, and they said she has a really interesting health story. I didn't ask what it was. I just figured I'd find out on the podcast. I was like, all right, it's be interesting. So we're talking, and I had to put the mic on mute, and I just bawled my eyes out because she said that she was in a freak accident that cut nearly every uh, nerve and tendon leading to her left hand. And after eight hours of emergency surgery, she woke up and she couldn't feel her left hand. Mm. And her first thought was, oh my God, am I ever going to feel a guy put a ring on my finger? Mm. Like an immediate sense of shame and unworthiness, an immediate sense of "I'm you're instantly disabled. And she has a hand disability that you can't see either. So, and she's a host of uh, EverTalk TV. You can look her up, Jeslyn Way or at Jeslyn, J-E-Z-L-A-N. And she's beautiful and wonderful and lovely, but she has a severe hand disability um, and hand issue. So within the first month of being vulnerable with a couple of strangers or one stranger, and then this led to another, I met two women who now I, and now I'm less alone yeah. in the world. Yeah. Like I just met two women that have also been through it and are currently going through it. You know, um, I mean, I, I have it still too, but Jeslyn is definitely on a, a, a different track. She has chronic regional pain syndrome, which is very tough. So, um, you know, it's, it's, if that isn't a sign, if that wasn't a damn sign, mm. come on now. Now you don't even have to believe in anything to look at that and go. And so here's the thing. I did a pro me move. I said, I got to get over this. And the way that I did it, and then I started to talk about it publicly. People were very shocked because, you know, I've been talking about thyroid forever and I never brought this up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't bring it up for a reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, um, and now I don't care. I have no shame about my shame. And I did a speech at Paleo FX last year called The Shame of Disability and the Disability of Shame. Because the shame was more disabling than the disability itself. Mm. and it turns out no one cared and you know what if they did they're not for me f them right and at the end of the day i have i have no shame about it i'm fine does it do i still have moments yeah i mean i still have i still have the thing i'm not in pain you know i'm like 95 percent of the time i'm not in pain but i have flare-ups i mean there's certain things i can't do there are moments that i wish i could use my hands more than other people but i would never and this is another thing in my book some of the best gifts in life come wrapped in crap and this was one of them. I would have never taken back hypothyroidism and or this. And there's so much more to the story and how they intertwine and about my pursuit in, you know, entertainment and voice in the chapter, um, in the book. But this is, you know, they were the best gifts that were ever given to me and seemingly at the time, the worst things that had ever happened to me in my life. And I would just say to people, let's stop being crap magnets, but also give some crap a minute. Give it a minute. Give it a minute because you don't know. And start to expect that when something not awesome goes your way, just say to yourself, oh, this is going to be good. There's going to be some prizes here. Mm. 
This is going to be some good stuff that's going to happen from this. This, this crap doesn't happen to me unless something good happens there. So that's, um, that's really the truth. I would never take back either of those experiences for what they have meant to me and the world based on my first book, helping so many people with that. Mm-hmm. And that's another reason why I wanted to speak up about this because people do look at me and they would be like, oh, great. Like her life's perfect. It's like, no, actually, you know, no, it's not. <laughs> We're, right. I mean, we all have something we, we, we have to overcome, but that was the last piece of the puzzle for me to be confident as F. I needed to clean up that part. And I don't know what that is for other people that for other people could be downers. It could be getting out of an abusive marriage. I, I don't, it doesn't matter what that thing is, but especially with shame, it has to be dealt with because it will disable your confidence and it will screw up an area of your life that you think, especially if you're confident on the outside and you think, oh yeah, I'm good to go. No, you're not. No, you're not. Yeah. Look at that. Yeah. Elle, look, congratulations on the book. It's fantastic. I know it's um, inspiring now and it's going to inspire so many people and help so many people on their journey as well. Um, We've got the Amazon link in the show notes. The book is available to buy now on Amazon. Yes, in print and in Australia, Kindle. I think it's perfect. Perfect. So before we wrap up, do you have any parting um, words or final message that you want to leave our audience with today? Yeah. If you're listening, there is something, there's something, if not many things you're confident already about. It could be that you are confident that you're a good person or that you're a good mother or that you're a good friend, right? It doesn't have to be at a thing. So start wherever you're at, but I would suggest that everybody delve into the self-examination and look at where they can scrape barnacles off the bottom of their life to get to a point where they're confident as F, inside and outside, self-esteem, and comfortable wherever you go in this world being you, liking who you are in this world, and also learning and cultivating the feeling of knowing you will prevail and expecting that you will. Absolute gold. Elle, thank you so much. Now, as you know, all of my guests on the show get a gift of some primal alternative goodies from me. And I know you were on the show on the last time when we were talking all things um, thyroid, but we just I didn't have any producers in the US at that point and couldn't get any goodies to you. So I'm so glad that you've now had your parcel. So I'd love to know what did you oh, get? Oh, that I'm now like addicted? It. Yeah. So thanks for very much for giving me an addiction. So you sent me some chocolate chip cookies, which were amazing and actually put some of them in the freezer and then later hit those. And that, that was great frozen too. <laughs> so yeah, good. good frozen, hey? um, yeah, we, we like them like that too. So good. And then the, I haven't made the fat and seedy bread mix yet, but I'm excited about that. But the pizza bases were awesome. And what I liked about them is that unlike some other pizza bases, it felt like you could almost cut them up and use like bread, like Italian bread to dip in olive oil concoctions and things like that. Like there was this tech, the texture was great for pizza, but also for lots of things. And so that's what I kind of liked. It was kind of like this awesome flat bread in a way that was like multi-use, but that kicked butt. So I was so excited to finally try your stuff because it's been years. I've been looking at them like, like, come on, man. I want to know what that tastes like. But yeah, the chocolate chip cookies were so good. Um, And yeah, I'm excited to try the fat and seedy bread mix next. And I'm excited to have, you know, my products all the way from Australia in Malibu. I mean, it's just... A mind blowing. You got to get it. Yeah, we got to get more people in the U.S. to to sell your product because honestly, they're so good. They really are on top with 
above a lot of the stuff that's already out there. So I'm really hoping for some more US uh, distribution there for sure. Yeah, me too, Elle, me too. Thank you so much for everything today, for your wisdom, for your inspiration, and you're just cutting through bullshit and um, getting to tell us everything about Confident as F. Thank you so much for your time, Elle. Thank you so much. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.